that forgiveness is not about condoning or excusing or saying something was right, but it's about healing your own heart so you're not filled with the hate that the person who did the hateful act was filled with. So you are, you're breaking out of that. You're breaking away. You're creating some good in the world. to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and deep contentment. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her and her music on judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He is looking very bright and clean. He got a scrub down last night. So let's begin. Today, we're going to hear about something hopeful and optimistic. Uh, Many of us are feeling alienated and distrustful, um, and nothing seems to make sense. And there doesn't seem to be any rules anymore about decency. And some of us are worried about the actual state of humanity right now. Today, we're going to hear about a project that restores our faith in basic human dignity and puts the focus back on love and forgiveness. We're speaking today to Marina Cantic. Cusino, who's the founder of The Forgiveness Project, which is a UK-based charity that uses real stories of victims and perpetrators of crime and violence to help people explore ideas around forgiveness and alternatives to revenge. With no political or religious affiliations, The Forgiveness Project's independent and inclusive approach ensures its core message that Everyone has the potential to change their perspective and break the cycle of vengeance. Welcome to the program, Marina. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like our conversation really promises to be sort of a salve on the wound right now. Um, I know in the UK you're having your own uh, distress Um, And certainly in the U.S., uh, we are recording this right before the election and tensions are at an all-time high. So I I couldn't be more pleased to have you talk about forgiveness and um, 
alternatives. Why don't we start with how this program or this project got started? What what was the inspiration for you to start this? Um, yes, well, I've been working as a journalist for a number of years, and then uh, the Iraq War came along in 2003, um, and I was working with a photographer, and I felt very, um, I, I suppose you could say, the Iraq War kind of politicized me in the sense that I became really fueled by anger, and I went to all the protests. It, it made no logical sense to me, and because I was working this with this photographer and we were doing a lot of traveling um, for journalism, I came up with this idea of trying to find stories that in my mind were countercultural at that time. So they were stories which focused on empathy, compassion and forgiveness. And I had absolutely no idea if anything would happen with these stories that I found, but it was just something I felt driven to do. So in that sense, um, you could say that the Forgiveness Project was born out of anger. Um, and then I had some support and an amazing coincidences along the way, because as I collected these stories, and they were narrative, first-person narratives, you know, like um, the stories told from the point of view of the person I interviewed, and I wrote them up, and I interviewed them and wrote them up, and then my friend, the photographer, took the photographs, and they were for, also from victims of trauma and abuse, as well as from perpetrators of, of conflict and harm and or from all over the world from South Africa from America from um, Israel Palestine England of course Northern Ireland and you see I, we collected the stories I thought well at the very best I thought this will be a one-off you know big magazine article with strong portraits and strong stories and that was really my intention and I thought you know, I'll carry on being a journalist, but it's quite extraordinary how one's life can be taken in directions that you never planned for, because, as I said, I was helped along the way. None of these things ever happen on your own. Two remarkable women helped me. One of them was Anita Roddick, who happens to be... Uh -huh. Yeah, you know exactly she what I mean, the, I'm sure. The, the body shop. Yeah, founder of the body shop, a great social activist, died far too early. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, but helped me, saw the raw material that I collected and said, you know, these are really powerful stories, really important for our time. I want to help you make them into an exhibition. So it was never my idea to do that. But I thought, wow, that's a fabulous idea. So we created an exhibition that launched in London in 2004 on the River Thames. And it was just phenomenally uh, successful in ways I'd never imagined never planned for. People were queuing up to come through the doors. We got so much media attention. It was like people were thirsty for a different narrative. And basically, that's how it started. I thought, this is kind of my, my life's work now. I was getting so many indications that this is where I should put my attention. And that's, I found that's your charity. legacy, your legacy yeah, of healing. So. 
Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. But at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped so I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market, so you have to make sure the product is tested by a third-party lab at the very least. My favorite company is called Pros, P-R-O-Z-E, and they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is. And I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website pros, P-R-O-Z-E dot com. Coupon code is zestful. Thank you. How do you find your stories, Marina? Well, at the beginning, it was like one led to another, led to another. Sometimes I'd read a little footnote in a newspaper. Sometimes it was quite a big story that was already out there. Sometimes as, as the project took off, as the stories gathered, as we put them in exhibitions and on the website, people would email. Um, and, and then we were sometimes sought out a different type of story because we felt there was a gap, but it's not scientific in any way, nor nor does it, nor is it representative. There are countries that we've never covered. You know, there are conflicts and situations we've never been, um, yeah, we've never been able to explore that aspect. But I think it evolves. It's a project that's evolved, mm -hmm. and the people that were in, came and shared their story early on are still very much part of it, and we. We've supported in the storytelling and taken people into prisons, um, into different types of events, schools to share their story, because I really believe in the power of the individual's voice. And, and, and there's nothing more powerful than hearing it live, of course, mm -hmm. but there are other ways. There's exhibitions, there's written words on the website, there's audio, there's you know, video. So we, we share stories in many different, multiple ways. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious if there are any stories, and, and there must be so many over the years, but are there any particular ones that resonated with you um, particularly deeply? Um, well, yeah, I mean, so many. But um, 
there was one, I remember this was one of the very, very early stories that I collected, and it was a, wo a woman whose son had died on an operating table. And it wasn't actually a medical blunder. It was, um, he, he, he died, you know, of a heart attack, and it was, it was terrible. But the thing that she was finding hard to forgive was that they had used um, some of his remains to, um, for scientific experiment. I don't know, this was like a big, big scandal many mm, years ago. Without, and these parents, without her, yeah, without without her permission. permission. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. And it became a big... And she was telling me this story. And um, I think because I had a son the same kind of age at the time, because I'd had a brother who died as a young person, you know, a teenager, I found myself as a journalist suddenly just completely um, overwhelmed with emotion. It had never, ever happened to me before. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I started just crying. And I'd never done that before because I was quite... Journalists become quite hard to difficult stories. And I think it was partly because it was, it wasn't, I wasn't writing it for a newspaper. It was, I was collecting it for a project which I had created and I could go to deeper, a deeper level in a way. And then I was embarrassed that I cried. <laughs> and she said, she was very, very gracious and kind about it. She said, no, it's so, so wonderful that you've cried. I've told my story to journalists because she was part of the campaign. And she said, they just always look quite hard and, they never seem emotional. And so in that moment, I kind of knew that it was good. I'd been authentic. I'd, I'd been shown my emotion and that it was the right thing to do. But I answer, I answered your question with that reply because I hadn't actually talked about that for a long time. But you said what really got to me deeply. It's not necessarily the story, I think, which is one of the strongest stories necessarily. But if you're asking about what impacted me, that did at that time. And there have been others along the way as well, but that was just a very personal one. Mm -hmm. One that you could identify with mm. and sounds like surprised you um, yes. how close to the surface it was. Yeah. So, you know, I have to imagine that you get some pushback from people who say, I could never forgive somebody who hurt my child or a loved mm. one or a murderer and, and all of this, because some of the perpetrators do some pretty awful, awful mm. behaviors. What's, yes. um, how do you, how do you understand that? Um, are you talking about the pushback or about how I understand how you can forgive something where people do terrible um, things? I, I guess <laughs> this, the second. Like, how, how does that work for people who might initially say, uh, you know, eye for an eye and I could never forgive? Maybe we'll start there. What Do you see them transform at times after they're able to see some of your stories and some of your work? Um, yeah, I th well, I think so, not always, and there's no obligation here. We're not trying to persuade people to forgive. We're creating a place of inquiry and discussion and conversation. It's kind of like an invitation to consider this. And then we find the stories that unravel the nitty-gritty, difficult, complex subject of forgiveness. Not everybody has arrived at a place of forgiveness, but all are drawing a line under the, you know, place of revenge and retaliation. 
the dog, dogma of vengeance, if you like. So that helps in the sense we're not trying to tell people they must forgive. So people come to it because they want to explore aspects of forgiveness. And when they come to the very difficult stories, which are, as you say, it's almost impossible to understand how you could um, forgive such a heinous crime, um, I try to get people to explain how on earth this is possible. And I think once you enter the world of the person who's telling the story, and they explain, for instance, um, that forgiveness is not about condoning or excusing or saying something was right, but it's about healing your own heart so you're not filled with the hate that the person who did the hateful act was filled with. So you are, you're breaking out of that. You're breaking away. You're creating some good in the world um, to take it in a different direction, to start again, to turn the page. And you're doing it as an act of self-healing for yourself. That's how some people might describe it. Others might describe it, you know, I did not hate because I didn't want to be like them. Or mm -hmm. some have some understanding or um, people whose lives are so damaged that all they can think of is to do damage. This extraordinary mm -hmm. empathy, if you like. So I try to encourage people to explain their forgiveness so in ways that people... They might not agree, but maybe they'll understand. So, for instance, Eva Kaur, you might know her because she lived in America for very many years. She was one of our storytellers and she died last year. And she was a survivor of Auschwitz. She was experimented on by mm. Mengel. Right? Mm. And she, she always said, you know, I forgive, I forgive because I deserve it, not because they deserve it. It's a, she's described it as a miracle medicine for her because she'd spent decades full of hate and bitterness, resentments and pain. Um, pain is the great motivator to forgive. And she went mm. on a journey, a process. She describes it really well, how she came to forgive first her own abuser in the camp and then the Nazis in general. Now, she got a lot of pushback, as you can well imagine. She, mm -hmm. she, she held her head high. She got a lot of praise for the way she spoke, um, but she got a lot of attacks as well. And that's how it is with forgiveness. It's a contentious subject and contested territory. Do you think that humans are naturally uh, lean in the, the direction of vengeance? Is that something? I don't know if um, you've done any any uh, work. I'm sure you've done a lot of work on like what is yeah. the natural human um, reaction. Well, I think it is a, it's a hard one to say because I think much comes from the way you're brought up and where you live from your early childhood experiences. So I, I think as humans, um, we have both. We have the capacity for both, um, and I'm sure you will know people who will jump to one way and others who jump to another way. And it's how we respond to being hurt, whether we want to, it's very natural to want to see the other person hurt, but some people are naturally, um, naturally want to build bridges, naturally see that actually in 
imparting more hurt on others will actually just create a sort of cycle of violence and pain that isn't going to help them. So I think, I don't think you can make generalizations um, in that respect, whether to do with gender or race or religion. It's, it's very, very personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's to me, it's a fascinating question, you know, are, are people's yeah. brains wired, you know, some more to forgiveness, some more to vengeance? And is there a nature nurture question here? Mm. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. make any observations um, about the the perpetrators what have you learned about people who inflict harm and violence um well the people that i am talking to who have inflicted harm and violence are already part well i'm sort of hesitating because actually we've worked in prison so obviously i've worked with a lot of people who are not ready to um, reconcile either with what they've done or with the people that they've harmed. But the stories that we tell um, on the Forgiveness Project are all people who have made some sort of uh, deep transformation in their life, who have taken responsibility uh, for the harm that they've done. And it has to be said that many of them are themselves victims and have been hurt um, maybe in their childhood, maybe later themselves. Some of them have met their victims, if it's a, a crime we're talking about, in restorative justice. So they've, they've taken responsibility in the, in the sense of showing amends. And um, they've been able, actually able to meet face to face with the people that they've hurt most. And what and is that in, like to... Yeah. I'm just thinking that you have been part of some of those meetings. What has that been like for you to see that that kind of reconciliation? Yeah, I haven't actually, because we don't do restorative justice, we're not practitioners of restorative justice. Mm -hmm. I've seldom, I've never actually been at a meeting where they met for the first time. But I've been worked with both parties subsequently because sometimes people so much change and progress is made and the victim feels so restored that it's not a one-off event for them. Mm -hmm. They want to meet again. And sometimes they actually want to work together and, and do work to promote restorative approaches. And so then I've met people in those cases who've come together as a, as a, a pair, if you like, to present both sides of the story and say, this is how harm can be repaired. This is how people can um, so create value in the world again after something mm. so traumatic and that for most people would destroy them. So we kind of showcase what I describe it as restorative narratives. It's stories that move from despair to hope, from revenge to empathy, forgiveness, compassion. It's stories that showcase um, positivity in the world and the way forward and resilience mm -hmm. and optimism, I suppose. 
And have you seen some of uh, this work? Is it starting to have a, an impact on policy in the UK in terms of the criminal justice system? Um, I wish it was. Um, I don't, the restorative program that we run in prisons, um, it's difficult to fund. It's, you know, it's very well regarded. Uh, ministers, politicians know about it and other similar programs, but there's never any money to roll it out. Um, so I think it's always going to be on the sidelines. I'm a bit of a um, pessimist in that respect. So that, that's why as a journalist I seek to share the stories as widely as I can in the media, on the website, you know, through podcasts, exhibitions. I'm a great, great believer in the power of narrative, and the power of story, and the power of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we can wait for politicians to help us. Mm. No. I'm sure it's difficult to uh, maybe even put into words, but I'm wondering if you could think of yourself before the Iraq war as a journalist and there's I know a lot of things have happened but what have you seen in terms of your own development and the way you live and the way you think about being in the world yes um it's a good question really because I think I wouldn't ever have started out on this um, path if I hadn't been interested in peacemaking and in reconciliation. It's in my nature. As a child, I always wanted to bring people together and I wanted to understand the other point of view. Um, so I think it's just developed that muscle, if you like. I mean, of course, we all have hurts and in our life and and I found that maybe I've become much more prone to not allowing them to fester. Mm -hmm. I try to practice what I preach but then I hesitate to use the word <laughs> preach because I don't <laughs> want the Forgiveness Project to be seen as preaching in as any way. It's discursive. Yeah and as I said earlier it's about presenting you know one way of dealing with pain, one way of dealing with harm. One way that I see is very effective. Um, I have friends, oh, I just met a friend today, a very old school friend, hadn't seen for ages. She wanted to see me because she wanted to talk about a sister who won't talk to her. And we talked about siblings, we talked about, you know, the difficulties of sibling rivalry. And I thought, yeah, you know, you have to work hard at these things and to keep relationships going, not just siblings, all relationships. And I just think, Forgiveness is so critical here. It's like the oil of personal intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. We forgive multiple times a day if a relationship is going to thrive. So you're talking about bringing it into your life in, in a more ordinary interaction maybe with loved ones or a partner that I think you're saying forgiveness is a mm. really important. It's not only if you've been victimized no. it's if you've had a little bit of a pinch from from a loved one or a partner or a little bit of a hurt that yes. um 
I see. Because these big stories, I mean, I show them, I share them and present them because I think they grab people's attentions, but most of us won't, thankfully, you know, um, have a loved one who's murdered or um, be terribly um, harmed, I hope, you know, it does happen, but all of us will have had conflict in our personal relationships. Mm. And and increasingly, I, I maybe I'm just noticing it more, you know, maybe it's as I'm getting older. People don't seem to get on any better. Families still are at war, falling out, not speaking to each other, refusing to speak for something someone said or hasn't said. So, but the stories that we share on the Forgivers Project, the processes are the same. It's all about having curiosity for the other, having empathy, letting go of resentment, changing your perspective. It's the same whether it's for something massive that's happened that has caught it's the like attention. It's like opening, opening mm. the lens wider about what are the the other possible, what's the context, what else is going on here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's so. And I, I just came to sort of realize in a way that nothing binds you more to the object object of your contempt than your you know your hate. And it's a strange mm. thing. So that so how do we get rid of those um, that binding in a way that. You know, when you're very upset about something or you feel so hurt, you wake in the morning thinking about it, you go to bed at night thinking about it, you talk to your friends about it, you become totally obsessed with it. And it takes up so much room in your head. Mm -hmm. So I see forgiveness and all the related concepts as really being ways of of releasing you from that. And then, um, mm. you know, so people want to know, how do I do this? And there's so much written about it, as I'm sure you may know, so much written about forgiveness and from a therapeutic point of view. So many people have five steps and six steps and ten pillars. And, and, and I tend not to do that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's all out there. Desmond Tutu's got four stages. Um, but I prefer to share stories, and you can read the stories and think, yeah, I, I can relate to that. Maybe I could try that. That would might work in my life, or you know, or, or, or take issue with it and think, no, I would never do that, but I might do this, you know. So that's how we. That's how I think. Um, is it, well, it's one way of of embracing concepts of restoration and forgiveness. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. 
Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been a Adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Now back to the show. And you've recently started a podcast. I have. It was just another way of, of sharing the stories, I guess, and a bit of a challenge for me. Because In I what way? Because I teach myself the uh, whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. I think I did see uh, a tweet about that's how you spent a week or something teaching yourself the tech. Yeah, well, I went to a little short evening class, not long. And then I just, because I did it all, I did, I got my son to do the music and I did it over lockdown and then did all the editing. That was the difficult thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have anyone to help with the editing. I know some podcasts, if people are lucky, they've got people to do it all for them. But I did all the edi- editing myself. But I, and I've enjoyed it a lot. I've got 10 that just come out. Yeah, it's called the F Word Podcast, just to give a little mm-hmm. plug. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's that's great. I love it. Was that title something that uh, has been in your head for a while, or was it something that just uh, came out? It's actually the title of the original exhibition that was launched mm-hmm. in two thousand four. Um, so it's this is just the F word podcast as opposed to mm-hmm. the exhibition but I think it the reason why I like it it just shows that forgiveness is, is a contested word that other people are inspired by or affronted by and I just think it sort of sums it up quite well it also shows that when we're a little bit gritty as an organization because mm-hmm. forgiveness can have this sort of sense that it's just for the morally superior or the religiously sound and and it's all about um, sort of a magical way of fixing everything. And I just really didn't want it to give it that that sense. I wanted it to feel very real for people. Mm-hmm. Everyday people could yeah. pursue this. Yes, yes. Do you um, want to leave our listeners with any... Any first steps? Because as you've said, we've all been hurt. Um, certainly here we're just in a in such an emotional mess uh, yeah. in the States here and having strong feelings about different candidates. And I think people are really feeling wounded and uh, confused. What would you say to our audience who are, you know, might be curious about what would this even look like for me? What's the very first step? Well, you mentioned it yourself. You said curious. So I'd say the very first word, the very first step, I would say, is curiosity. Just not to assume we have everyone figured out. And to, by just being that little bit curious about why someone might have um, a view that you don't agree with or take a position that you can't condone, 
you know, to ask the question why. And from there you can move from, you know, why me attitude to why them. And your perspective mm. broadens. And, and research has shown that, that forgiving people really understand that life is complicated, that you know, good people do bad things and bad things happen to good people. And also, you know, research has shown that people who can have that kind of attitude about life are have less emotional problems and have, you know, less high blood pressure. There's all sorts of physical and mental benefits that go with having a more forgiving attitude to life. And that's it's all tied up with stress and um, anxiety. It just means you're a little bit more chilled about life because you just mm. accept that stuff mm -hmm. doesn't always go your way. It reminds me of this Buddhist concept of there's life is full of struggle and there's nowhere to you can't get yeah. away from it. That there is pain in life and yeah. the more that That's you can right. accept that, the better off we'll be. Yeah, yeah. And things don't always work out. Um, yeah, and I think to have expectations and assumptions about people um it doesn't get you very far because it just doesn't work out like that. And I think, yeah, so I think that curiosity, that's what I would say is the first step. Mm -hmm. Very, very helpful. Where can, where can people find out more about the Forgiveness Project? Probably the website is the best place to start. And that's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's theforgivenessproject.com. Okay. And do you also have a social media presence? Yes, we do. Um, forget, at, at Forgiveness Proj is the Forgiveness Project. Okay, um, Proj, P-R-O-J. Yeah, okay. and there's a Facebook group, and I've written a couple of books as well. One is mm -hmm. called The Forgiveness Project, Stories for mm -hmm. a Vengeful Age, and one is called Forgiveness is Really Strange, and that's a graphic book. Oh, my goodness. That sounds yeah. lovely. Well, Marina, I can't think of a better time to be talking to you about things being gray and acceptance and mm -hmm. compassion. Um, I so appreciate yeah. you taking the time to talk with us. And I am so um, kind of in awe of this beautiful project you've created and I wish you the best of luck with it. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me on the show. It's just been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. 
And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.